Hello, and welcome to Founder and Chief, a Zeus podcast. I'm Paul McGloan, Head of Business Development. Zeus is an independent financial services group working across public and private capital markets in the UK. We work alongside many of the most exciting businesses in the UK, and we are passionate about supporting our clients. This podcast is about the people behind these businesses. In this episode, I'm talking to Manav Fappa, co-founder of Love Raw. Love Raw, in my words, is an indulgent plant-based chocolate brand designed as a treat product. They've gone from startup in Altering in Manchester to being featured on Dragon's Den, bestseller in healthy food retailers, and now widely available in many food retailers such as Asda, Waitrose and Co-op. In this episode, we will learn what's been behind the success of Manav and his wife and co-founder, Remy. Manav, welcome to the Zeus Founder-in-Chief podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. We record these podcasts to shine a light on the founders and CEOs of exciting businesses and give them the platform to talk about their businesses, their experiences and their journey to date. You are the co-founder of Love Raw, along with your wife, Remy, a business that I've had the pleasure of knowing for some time now and even better pleasure of tasting your products, Thank you. which I will say are excellent. You've had quite a journey so far. You've been on Dragon's Den, you've got your own D2C website and you sold on the shelves of the likes of Boots, Booths, Whole Foods, Waitrose, Holland and Barrett, among others. For the audience listening today, can you describe where we are, what room we're in? Oh, we're, we're, okay, so we're in the Love Raw HQ. It's our not new new offices, but you know we've we've the teams expanded during COVID, so we've had to get a bigger office space, and we're currently in the meeting room. Perfect. I gave a description of what Love Raw do and what they are, but clearly you're going to be better qualified than myself. So, give everyone a background in terms of the business and where you came up with the idea. Okay, so the whole the business, you know, we're we're a young business, but we started quite a few years ago, and it was started by my wife Rimi. We used to live in Spain at the time. And Rimi and myself started looking into food and where our food comes from, food supply, and just like, you know, things that were in, the, in, in, in our foods that we thought, you know what, why do they add this in? Why do they add? And that started the journey. And, you know, Rimi was like, you know what, I can make the same bars that everybody's making, but better, less ingredients, you know, and still great tasting. And that sort of, and she started making products, started making products in the kitchen. And in Spain, you couldn't start from your own kitchen. In Spain, oh. you have to be in a commercial premises. The UK is a lot more entrepreneurial. So Rimi came back from Spain, came to the UK, set up in family, family kitchen, and the business just took off from there. What was in the market then in terms of similar products at the time? Because I think we, we've changed as well. You know, we've had to adapt. We made sort of energy bars at that time okay. when we first started. And it was a case of, there was like, eat, um, there was brands like Eat Natural and Naked, the ones that are still here today. Mm-hmm. But for us, Rimi was like, you know what, I feel I can make a more natural tasting bar that still tastes great, you know, and more premium. Because, you know, that, and that's, we've kept through going, you know, I'm vegan as well. So mm-hmm. that was the, that was the main core, core things of the product. So it was a case of, we started with that. And then as the journey's gone on, which we could discuss, you know, we've had to pivot and change, change the way in our focus. And we've learned a lot. You know, and where we are today is we are the vegan chocolate brand, you know, and we focus on mainly chocolate products. Why vegan and how important was that vegan aspect to you at the time? I, I think it was a personal choice. We were vegans or we ate plant-based, but now it's more of a case of we want everyone to enjoy it. 
And I think that's the reason people are dairy intolerant or lactose free and things like that. And that's sort of the plan. We want everyone to be able to enjoy our chocolates. Okay. Where did the entrepreneur spirit come from? Was that something from your family, Rimi's family, or was it just a case of you, as you said, quite yeah. happy with the products that are out on the market? <laughs> a bit, a bit of both. My so my grandfather. So on my side, we've both got entrepreneurs on both sides of the family. Nice. On my side, my granddad came from India in the nineteen fifties got here, got a job, we used to work in, in the mines at that time, hated it, and said, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. Started doing his own business, like selling things door to door and start at that time, and he, he started it, and then when my, dad, my dad's dad died when my dad, I think, was about 15, and my dad had to take over the business, so my dad had to leave school and just sort of get, in, get stuck in. So my dad's, you know, so all I've grown up with on that side is family, family-run businesses and my dad being his own boss and same with Rimi. Rimi's mum used to make clothes for B&M and had her own factory. Her grandfather also did that. Her dad also had a shop. So everyone's sort of been around us and sort of ran their own businesses or just done their own thing, really. Okay, okay. So, so it's quite an inspirational sort of family background yeah, both parts. Yeah, def- definitely. I've mentioned Dragon's Den. Yeah. So I'd like you to talk about it. And obviously it's really interesting. It's got a lot of media profile. Talk to me about that experience. Talk to me about why you went on it. How old was the business when you went on it? Um, just that the whole the whole experience, and obviously, quite importantly, did anyone? Yeah. In, 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 well, did anyone offer us <laughs> the best? So we went on to Dragon's End four years after we started the business. They'd approached us a couple of years for because they're in Manchester. They were like, you know what? Do you want to come on? I said, you know what? The time's not right. Then, then there was the when the time was right, we said, you know what, we actually need to raise money for the next day, you know, funding the business because we'd bootstrapped up until then. So it was going to sort of be a round that was going to be funded by angels. We said, you know what, let's just go on, see what happens. You know, we've heard some great things about some of the the, the dragons have done, you know, the help businesses. So yeah. um, I was a coward. I didn't go on. I said, Rimi, you'd be better at this. So you didn't go on because I was a coward. Right. But I said, Rimi, do you know what, you you'll be really good at pitching the business, and I think you should do it. And you know, we, we decided to go on. We thought, you know what? Worst comes to worst, we'll get brand exposure. People will see the brand, you know, 4 million people. You know, if we get an offer even better and if it works out okay, then that, you know, it's the perf- perfect... So you, so you went on it, you would have taken the investment. We would have taken it if it was a good, a good amount. Okay. And I think when Rumi went on, she, well, she did all, all of the pilots and stuff like that and you go on and then they do the testing and they're like, okay, we're going to put you through. And from what she told me, she said it was a very... They don't. They they try and create a lot of like ang- stress. Like they put you in a room with other founders. They don't tell you when you're gonna go on. They say you're gonna be there for the whole day. They'll call you anytime, mm-hmm. and it builds up that that <laughs> not anxiety, but builds up like the adrenaline and everything like that. And I think when she went on, she you know she pitched. We were very open. We you know we watched a lot of the episodes. We knew don't try and hide anything. Just just be transparent. Ask about figures and things like that. So just tell them the truth because you know and they'll probably pick it apart because that's part of the show. But got got on there and we got an offer from Deborah Meaden. Right. It was for like thirty percent of the business for the amount of money we needed, and we went in with five. You know, Rimi tried to negotiate and said, "Look, could you do it for 10? You know, Deborah said no, and then that was it. We turned we turned them down. We we said we well, she said no, it's thirty, and we're like, no, you know what? We're, gonna, we're not going to accept the offer. Okay. And that was it. And she came out, and it was a bit of it's an experience. I could see it really sort of changed her as well. You know, was the fact that. And I haven't asked this before, yeah. and I've, I've alluded to the fact that I've known you for a little while now, but <laughs> was the fact that you did get an offer, did that almost validate that you were on the right journey yeah. and you were doing the right things? Yeah, yeah. with Deborah, she invested in a lot of food brands. Okay. You know, brands that we had seen and 
you know, she got the product straight away and it was like, okay, that's good. You know what? She, she invested. And because she, not invested, because she offered, because she offered, then that, that, you know, that episode got aired because they don't air all the episodes. Okay. If you see people get 20 second clips or 10 seconds, right. we got a good 10 minute piece, which was great for the brand. How was the conversation that night when you got her? She said, I'm broken. I'm um, lack of sleep because she was still feeding the little one. Right. She goes, I need to go away. So she went on a silent retreat for a week after that. Oh, wow. I'm not joking. Okay. So I didn't see her then a week later, but she was very nervous about how it was going to air. And when it did air, she was fine. I said, it was all just, she just don't know how they're going to show it, I think. Yeah, that's right. You know, that but it was someone. the best thing we ever did for the brand, I think. Because people still talk about it now. You're talking about it now. Yeah. When we do PR, they always ask women or podcasts, tell me about Dragon's Den. What was it like? You got an offer. So it's been great. It's been a great talking point. What happened to the brand, I want to say overnight. Yeah. But so assume the episode goes live whenever it went live. Yeah. What year was it? It was 2017. Oh, so 2017, it goes live. What happens then the sort of next day? So they, okay, so they, they called you up and they, they only tell you a week before you're going on the next week's episodes. We're not going to tell you how long it's for, but we just wanted to give you a heads up so you can get your press release and all of that. So we didn't know anything. We didn't know what it was going to be. Uh, we got our website ready because we heard that, you know, your website can crash. So website was all good. Right. And then, you know, we made special Dragon Den boxes. And I spoke to another guy who'd been on previously. He said, look, man, I've, we didn't sell that many boxes. We spent loads of money on the website. Just be prepared that you're not going to sell much. So we're like, you know what? Let's make just 20 Dragon, ben, Dragon Den boxes. They're the same boxes that Rimmy went on with, basically. What you've got seen, a selection box. When it just went, it just went crazy. When we went on, I think for our business at that time, it was like we ended up selling about 2,000 of those Dragon Den boxes. Nice, well done. You know, 30, thank you. And 30, we had a 30% uplift in Waitrose. We saw in those few weeks, you know, after the airing. So it was good all around. Then we got in the Sun, Daily Mail, Got in Forbes, so we got got some got and some it good just pieces. Builds and builds, it and builds, builds and it builds and builds and builds. And then when they re-air it, you get people. You get another hit to the site, or if they air it in a different country, uh-huh. you get another hit to the site and another round of P- you get another round of PR as well. We had two rounds of PR. Okay, so you've actually got quite a lot to be thankful for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was good. It was it was a good it was a good thing for the business. Excellent, good man, and still feel like you're a coward. Yeah, so I wouldn't go it? on again. Though. You wouldn't do it again. No, no I couldn't do it. She's <laughs> she was she was really good. She did the brand justice, and yeah, she it was good. Good man, good man. <laughs> Talking around the creative part in the business, you've got multiple products, and you know t- taking yeah. the opportunity to talk around those products now. But how do you get to a place where you say, wouldn't it be great if we created a product that tasted like X? Yeah. How does it then get to being packaged then on the shelf? Yeah, correct. I think. To give you a bit, so like I was saying, we did loads of different products before and we made loads of different categories, which is something that we can discuss. And it was a case of that Rimmy decided, Rimmy decided, you know what, because Rimmy does all of the new products. She said, do you know what, I'm telling you, this vegan chocolate thing is going to get, it's going to be big. Right. Uh, this is really had no data. This is, we had, she's <laughs> like, I'll tell you, I've got a feeling. I was like, do you know what, Rimmy, yeah, we have, this is the last bit of money that we've got from the investment. We need to make sure that, you know, it, it's going to work. She's like, you know what, I'm telling you. Nobody's making great tasting chocolate, you know, that happens to be vegan, as in it tastes just as good as a, a, a dairy one. And I was like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, I'm telling you. So we went all in. We went all in, you know, we focused on the vegan chocolate thing. And that was a big inflection point in the business. You know, get, you know, we found a factory when we worked with the factory. We, it was a it was a collaborative effort because they never made that never made vegan chocolate. Butter Where was before. the factory? Um, it's based in the UK. Okay. So we, we said, you know what, we've got to, you know, we work with them, we shared IP, shared knowledge, 
and you know we made the product and it went out and it, it just it just did phenomenal and we got listed in whole foods and then holland and barrett came along then boots came along then waitress came along and that was when we needed to raise money again you know that was where because it was just funding the orders basically mm. cash flow was tight we had a very small team still because we were putting all of the money in stock and not growing the other side which we needed to do both basically so you've got food design <laughs> yeah product what about then the, the wrapping, the packaging, et cetera? Who's so so um, we worked with, so Ribby, Ribby deals with the creative side. And at that time, we didn't have any graphic designers in-house. We just used an external graphic designer that we found on like freelancing platforms and things like that. Oh, okay. So we, we, Ribby, did, Ribby used those. So and still just showing just, that sort of entrepreneurial flair. Into yeah, it. yeah. But that was, yeah, that was four years ago. But now we've got two in-house graphic designers. So man, I've obviously you've got your own you've got your own website. Yeah. And then you're in some of the great brands that you know, the retailers that yeah. we've mentioned. Talk to us around how COVID would have impacted yeah. you because the stores would have closed and this is yeah. that time when you're building the brand. Yes. How did the website cope and how and how have you Co- managed to, to keep it going? So when we met, I don't know if you remember, but we met a year it was probably a year before COVID or two years before COVID, you were like, Don't neglect D2C. You said you're a brand, it's great to be in all these stores, but think about D2C. So since we had that conversation. We sort of started focusing on a bit more on the website, making sure it looked right, putting a bit of time and effort and making sure the package, subscription package, everything. So when COVID hit, we were sort of ready. You know, we had a, you know, we were packing all the orders in house at that time. And when COVID hit, I think online became about 30, 40% of our sales wow. in total, you know, from being 5%. Yeah. It was very low still pre, and then it just went up. And I would say now post COVID, it's gone down to 20%. But the business is a lot bigger, so the twenty percent is now a lot bigger than yeah. than than it was, you know, than the thirty percent in COVID. So it's been it's been good for us. It's great for people that want to buy regularly and see the brand and see that you're established and see the different products you do. So we we're using it for both. We get a lot of trade inquiries as well from the website. Interesting, you know. So we we make sure that's a big thing capturing that data. Simona, what is the what is the addressable market in terms of confectionery brands, vegan brands? for Love Raw and how far have you penetrated that market? So we're, we're playing in the confectionery space. We're not playing in the free farm or the healthy snacking space in terms of that. We're focusing on the confectionery section. Plant-based is expected, plant-based chocolate is supposed to be about 1.1 billion in 2023. So it's growing. It's going to be a, a big category. Yeah. But for us as a business, we're focused definitely on the vegans and the vegetarians, but more on the flexitarians. Because obviously it's a growing, a growing segment and the people that are flexitarians are obviously reducing their meat consumption or having meat-free days or choosing dairy alternatives. And we're focused on those people. That's, that's the, where the main growth is going to come from. We're always going to make sure we appeal to the vegans and veggies, but the flexitarian market's where this growth is going to come from for us as a brand. So when you first came up with the brand and the yeah. concept... You said that Remy was absolutely focused. She yeah. knew she yeah. knew that there was a desire yeah. and you know a requirement for a business like yourselves, a product like 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 Love Raw. Even though you had that confidence, yeah, has it still has it been harder than you thought to crack the market to get the business out yeah. there? I think in the chocolate market definitely because of the big players. Okay, so you know when you go into a supermarket and you go to the confectionery aisle, it's. Cadbury own that whole bay yeah. in Tesco and they pay for that bay. So how are you going to get in there? Because that's all Cadbury's... I don't know what dairy milk is, so yeah. I'm going to buy it again. You're going to buy it again. So Tesco will say, well, or Sainsbury's or whoever will say, well, in that bay, Cadbury paid for that whole bay, so you can't go in there. The next bay along, bay along and Nestle's paid for that bay. The next um, place along um, bay is uh, Ferrero. So 
but where am I going to put your products? You know, so it's a case of us taking, you know, finding our place in the, in the supermarkets or on the shelves and getting our journey to which the main goal is to be in the main confectionery aisle. So that's probably the biggest challenge. Right, okay. You so know, I'm thinking around then when you said earlier that you, you focus on those sort of flexitarians and I yeah. cut myself in that category. You don't want to be in the free from potentially um, less quality products. You want to still sit within that confectionery yeah. aisle but be recognised as a... Correct. Flam or a vegan or a plant-based. Yeah, so we, 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 we sort of, we bridge the gap between sort of healthy snacking and confectionery. And it's a case of where does, the, how does that gap fit into the each customer's store? And, you know, we've got a great team, lots of insights and we've been able, and that's why we've got a lot of listings. We're listing and listing and listing because we've learned over time how to pitch our product in. But for us, as me and Rimi and our sort of long-term strategy is, we want to be sitting next to those brands, Mars, Snickers, you know, dairy milk. We want to be next to those, you know. Are they the, quite simplistically, are they the barriers when it just the spending power of the, of the Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we have to be more creative with the brand, you know, and that's why if, you, if in the business we've got a lot, we've got a big marketing team because we're very much focused on building the brand, you know, and make people seeing it, seeing the, getting eyes on the brand, then go and taste the product and just that's the cycle basically. So we've mentioned those some of those retailers, and that we yeah. obviously you know we're we are all aware <laughs> of the, of those names. How hard is it to get in there in the shelf space and get yourself into the eye line of of, the, of those retailers? It's it, it it can be tricky. It's a lot of hustling, a lot of emails, a lot of pitching your product in the right way, having a great product as well, having a brand that they've seen as well. You know whether it's on LinkedIn, Instagram, or seeing it in stores. So it's a case of it's a bit of a circle. If if you've got to get into the store so other buyers and can see you, but you need the buyers to take you on and put you in the stores. So it's a case of that. But you know, if you can package, the, if we package, the, if any brand you package the product right, got a good presentation, good products, know the category, know your data, and you pitch in a good pitch, they will listen to you. You know, and you just get that one, get the one, then prove concept there, then say, well, we you know what we've done really well in here. Okay, well, this is the data. Look how well we've done. Oh, we're gonna we can make you X margin, X profit. Oh, well, do you know what? I'm, I'll I'll give you a try. You do proof concept. Oh, we do, you're doing really well with that skew. Can we add another two more flavors? And that's what's happened with with the retailers. What Got, brands do you aspire to? Oh, good question. In confectionery, not many because the the Cadbury's and they don't really they're not the brands that we sort of consume. Uh -huh, yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So I would say people people at Apple. You know, we obviously we've got all the Macs here because I like yeah, Apple. Yeah, yeah. But you know, th those types of innovation, innovative type brands that are doing great products, great brand. You know, so for me, it's Apple. For Remy, it'll probably be a, f a fashion company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure they put. I don't know which one. So, interesting question. Well, I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. Anyway, recently, um, yeah. you made a public confession. Um, I I saw it on LinkedIn. You also yeah. did drop me a text as well to sort yeah. of prompt my attention to yeah. it. But. You 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 were public on the on on the basis that you told everyone that either you didn't think a product was working or it wasn't right. Yeah. What what made you be so public about that? Okay. Um, and and why did what what sort of triggered the point? We go something isn't working here, and you know, what what was it? So yeah. So um, what wasn't working, and then which will hopefully answer that. We when we launched the buttercups, we we were learning about the chocolate industry. And, you know, we hadn't been in chocolate before. So we so were like... Buttercups is a... It's almost like a Reese's Pieces cut, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that. And then we we like, do you know what? Okay, we we learned... We've launched that product, learned a lot about chocolate. Then when we launched the next product, which was the wafers, 
the wafers, we learned a lot again with the wafers and we learned how to develop the taste of a milk, a milky type taste without using milk, dairy. So we learned a lot and we said, you know what? The wafers, we're really happy with the taste. We love it. You can't tell the difference, but with the buttercups, we felt it was still not creamy enough, not milky enough. And so we said, you know what? We need to go back to the drawing board because if people taste the buttercups and they say, you know what? These are too dark. These don't taste like milk, cho milk chocolate. Then I'll, they'll be, they won't go and try the wafers. And then we've lost them in that whole brand journey. So it was a case of the buttercups needed to stand up to the wafers if somebody tried them first and vice versa. People were trying the wafers, then saying, oh God, I bet their other chocolate is as creamy and that. And, and they'd go to the buttercups and be like, no, they're not. So we would then lose customers. You know what? I'll just stick to the wafers, they used to say. We got all the feedback. Got feedback from reviews, got feedback from Instagram, social media, ourselves as well, we knew, I think. And we just went on a journey of like, okay, how do we make, how do we get that taste up to the same taste as the wafers? What was the feedback when you put your hands up and said, we've got this wrong, guys? Uh, a lot of people, yeah, it did actually. For me, it did well. I had 20,000 views and I don't normally get 20,000 views on the right, face. Okay. So for me, it was good in terms of people, and people were saying, no, really appreciate it. And, you know, yeah, we've had this problem. And I think everybody isn't happy with some products that they do, okay. you know, when everyone's trying to improve them. But we had, because it was me and Remy, we had to wait for the team to get a bit bigger so that we could start, right, you know what? Right, we need to sort this problem out now, you know, because it's just growing and growing and growing. It's just trying to keep up and keep that side going and that side going. So you, that's the public mistake. I'm going to be yeah. a little bit mischievous. Talk around one of the public people don't know about but we're going to probably find out now but talk okay. about a mistake you've made and it could just be something simple you go do you know what we'd have loved it if you'd done something differently just, just give us an example as a sort of an entrepreneur growing a business when you yes. look back and you think sort of talk to yourself a little bit Oof. you know when I think about a lot of the stuff if we if we could change that question I'm saying to like yeah, challenges we've had we've had some really big you know challenges that we've had in the business there which has sort of tested the resolve you know i remember when we were going to launch in a big supermarket for the first time and we used to do drinks at that time and you know the we weren't big enough we didn't have a good you know the the, the and the, it was the first order and the factory said you know what you have to pay up front for these six pallets and our cash flow was so tight because we were trying to run the business very lean we've got this um we've got this six pallet order you know and we were like you know what we can't afford to pay the six pallet banks weren't giving us money we were too small we owned whatever they were looking for wasn't right and okay so what are we going to do you know and we ended up having to you know go and think outside the box and find some sort of credit line to get through that and get to the next stage you know that was a really big challenge because that they, they were key to us growing and if we didn't get that what would have happened to the business i think this the second one a really a second one that thing that we had was we had an order from a very very big retailer and they ordered we were doing really well with the product with the chocolate products and they said you know what it's going really well we're going to order 250 we gave us a 250 grand order that would have been i can't remember like half of our revenue right. uh, one year's revenue in one order we were like okay so we started scaling up spoke to all the suppliers got everything ready just just was like okay you know what we're gonna we're gonna give it to you but we just give us a bit of time you know you want it in a week we're gonna get it to you and we're gonna drip feed it in over the next three weeks because from going from 10 15 pound order to 250, you know, they expect mm -hmm. you to scale, you know. So we said, we'll do it, give us some time. Anyway, started getting it ready, started producing everything. The buyer called up and basically said, you know what, um, we decided we're gonna cancel the order. And I was like, well, you can't do that. And they were like, no, we can, because in the terms of conditions, uh, in the terms of conditions, you we can cancel an order up until delivery. Uh. 
So that again, nearly, and the business was growing then, like really growing. We're like, we've just promised, we've promised everything to the suppliers, and you know, it was again another test of resolve and how do we get through it. And it was again thinking on our feet, thinking outside the box. You know, that is a mistake in a way that we were a bit naive. Mm-hmm. Now we know what to do with that type of customer and yeah, how to play it. You're more robust, more well, you're going to pay 50% up front, et cetera. So, we, you know, you learn from that. And it was like, we managed to get through it with a bit of help, a bit of contacts in that retailer. They managed to take part of the order. You know, our suppliers were a bit, were very helpful in giving us longer payment terms and we got through it. You know, that, that, was, that was probably the second, the second mistake. Okay, the third thing was, you know, when we, when, when we launched the business, we were in lots of different categories. And that was, that was a mistake. We were in bars, we were in drinks, we were in superfood powders. Oh, yeah, cool. And we were too many categories and nobody knew what Love Raw, the brand, stood for. You know, we were trying to be one thing, you know, and it was just, it was too spread out. We hadn't gone deep into one category, which is the thing that we've learned now is to focus, you know, in, you know, in everything in parts of the business, but definitely with the category. That's why with the vegan chocolate brand, you know, we're not going to go out and start doing drinks. You know, maybe it's something in the five, 10 years when the brand's really established again. But at the moment, you know, with the vegan chocolate brand, we're sticking to our core, sticking those products and not get too distracted because there's so many great products and gaps to fill. We could do it, you know, but so that, that would probably be the lesson I think that we learned, the third one. So in terms then of learning along the journey and you mentioned that you've got contacts of particular businesses, who have you, who sort of helped you along the along the journey from a corporate level and how have you built a board around Love Raw? Okay, no, that's great. We've got, I would say there's two key people from an advisor point of view. We've got Cully, who's our sort of FD, and he's been sort of with the business since 2017, been through two raises, and he's really helped commercialise the product, do all the financial modelling, the forecasting, all the stuff the investor needs, you know, and because he's exited businesses, done IPOs, he's been in loads of different industries, tech, you know, retail products, that knowledge and that advice, he knows what's coming up in the next year. He knows how to build the business from the sort of the financial side and the team side from, you know, for the for the next stage of growth. So he's been really super, super helpful. And then another person we have on the board is Juliet Barrett, the founder of Grenade. So she's come on board and, you know, she's become, she's an advisor, mentor, you know, and she's helping us really focus on building the brand and, you know, helping us again get to the next stage. She's done the journey. Both of them have been there and done that and seen this is what happens at this stage, this is what happens at that. And hopefully the plan is they make us, they help us get there faster because they've made, they've made the mistakes. Who instigated, so thinking about Juliet and you've been kind enough to introduce me to Juliet yeah. in the past. Who instigated that conversation? Was that a flattering one that came into you or, or, or did you identify okay. Grenade and what Juliet had done there? So weird, weirdly, okay, so we were, when we were raising money second time, we, we were putting the deck together and I remember Cully saying to me, we, before it was going out, he goes, look, uh, let's use a case study of Grenade because they're really similar to you. Husband, wife, started from kitchen, story's really good and like at least it will show that, you know, there's people that have done it. So we put, we did a whole like, whole one page in there about, you know, a, a sort of similar business and we put Juliet and, 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 in, in, and Grenade in there. And then a week later, um, I went to see Rimi's family. They live in the Midlands. And my daughter was a bit bored. She was like, I said, do you know what? Do you want to go to a factory where we make, where we make some packaging? So I went there and I was talking to the factory owner and he was, he was talking to me. He's like, well, how's it going? I said, oh, we're raising money at the moment. The business is growing. He goes, oh, I can see from your orders. And I go, yeah, we're looking. And he goes like, look, I know somebody. That, they're not an investor, but they advise businesses. I was like, okay. And he was like, um, if she's in, I've just, I've just messaged them. If they're interested, they'll call you in a couple of hours. I was like, okay, I had no idea it was. 
And then two hours later, then Juliet called me. And I was like, oh my God, it's Juliet. You know, and in, in the FMCG food space, Grenade is, 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 is a celebrity and very famous. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, and we know what, we got on well. And she said, you know what, I'm going to come down. I'll come in, I'll come meet you in Altrincham. So she came down and she said, look, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I like, uh, you know, what, what you're doing. And we went through the story and she goes, in the end of the, of the conversation, she goes, you know what, I'd love to join you guys. And then she just joined as an advisor and that was it. It was just that random meeting, you know, and then she said, oh, by the way, I'm moving around from the office just by chance. Right. <laughs> so the stars aligned, let's say. Nice. Oh, nice. And I've, you know, like I said, you've been kind of introduced me to Julia and she She's obviously well well stacked in terms yeah. of experience and seems like a real good egg as well. Yeah, definitely. You and Rimi, so you co-founders yeah. of the business, also husband and wife. Yes. Where do you draw the line between home, office, bringing products back, <laughs> work-life balance? Well, you, we've tried. I think me and Rimi were getting, at the beginning of the business, we were crossing over into each other's roles. So now we have sort of defined roles. Rimi looks after the new products the creative and the brand side. I focus more on the commercial, the operational side. So we've got a good balance now. And so we don't really tread on each other's toes with there's more support and, you know, soundboarding. So it's, that's better, less arguments. And then the arguments don't come home. But the work-life balance, we've tried many different... It doesn't work. It's part of our life, you know. I've taken, you know, I've taken... When we pitched for the business with Blue Horizon, we had to take my four-month-old with us to the meeting. So the VC was our founder of the VC... There's a couple of other people. We said, look, you know, Rimmy's feeding. We have to take him. We, we've been to factory visits where we've had to change a nappy on the boardroom table. <laughs> Everyone's okay with it because they've all got kids or had kids. And, you, you know, we went, we had a VC meeting in London. We, we a babysitter cancelled and my parents were away. Babysitter cancelled. And we had to basically, we called them up and said, look, we're going to be a few hours late, but we're bringing two of our kids. We had two then. They're like, all right. So we came and then my, my the six-month-old was there and the four-year-old was there. And, you know, the four-year-old sat with the founder at the VC and we had to pitch to them with my daughter there, you know. And, they, and you know, they're part of our life, so they know and they come to the office and, you know, when we go home, we, do, we talk about the kids and we talk about the business and, you know, we try not to, like, do too, talk too much, not about the stresses, but just, oh, what are we doing tomorrow and what's happening? But you can't get a balance. It's so hard. Some people do, but then maybe that's where their business doesn't... We've got big ambitions and we've got, we've got, it's a big challenge, so... You know, it's going to be with it's following us around everywhere we go. It's next generation of entrepreneurs. It's next generation, yeah, 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 yeah hopefully. Yeah, right. um, well, we're coming towards the end now. I think it's only fair and right. A shameless plug. Um, how would a first time customer find you, Manav? And do you have any discounts on the website? Yeah, yeah we do. Um, I'll have to get you one. Because <laughs> I've got, yeah, we've got, um, so basically, the best place to find us is on eatloveraw.com. Um, if there's a sign up pop up that comes up when you first visit the site, I think you get twenty five percent off, so off your first purchase. So you know, go do that, and you can try the products. We've got samples; you don't have to buy full case. You can buy three, six, nine. So you know, it gives everyone a good taste. And then you know what? We're available in those places that you said: Holland and Barrett, Boots, Asda, Waitrose, Booths, and you know, a lot of independent shops as well. Perfect. Right. Final question: And um, how would you like to round the podcast up? Your final dinner, whether that's yeah. death row because you've been a naughty boy <laughs> or just your final dinner. Yeah. Um, aside from family, who yeah. would be around the table, three people, dead or alive, and a quick reason why? Okay, I think, okay, so number one for me, because I like Apple, would be Steve Jobs. And I think the reason is 
their product innovation. It was vegan as well. It was, yeah, it was vegan as well. Yeah, yeah. Just the product innovation, he, you know, made great products. The inside and the outside were good. And that's what we were trying to do with our products and trying to be ahead of the game and do the hard product things that people aren't doing. You know, a second one would say Elon Musk because Elon Musk runs three billion pound companies. And, you know, when he's very much, very much involved, he's got like seven kids, I don't know how many kids he's got. He's got like seven kids and he does it all. And they're all growing and they're doing very well. So I want to, I'd like to learn from him how he manages all of that. And then the third person would probably be, I would say, Phil Knight, founder of Nike. Because I listened, I read his autobiography and it, 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 it's amazing. It took a long time to build it. And he went through ups and downs and you really hear that in the story. Lots of ups and downs and ups and downs and problems. And, and I think not the journey similar, but I really resonated with him. And, you know, he's very, and just, yeah, it'd be good to chat with him. So all US, a bit of consumer, a bit of tech, all high growth. All high growth, big companies. There we go. <laughs> Manab, it's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on the no, Founder Chat podcast. You. No, thanks, it's been great. Thank you for listening. If you're an entrepreneur or CEO and have a story you would like to feature or would like to suggest a founder you'd like to hear from, drop us a line at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. That's live, L-I-V-E, at zeuscapital.co.uk. Or follow us on social media at Founder and Chief. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for Designated Investment Business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.